I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Oh, ah, it appears you found me sitting alone in the drawing room of the Mansion of Leaves of Glen, where I read the hottest public domain books and short stories. Uh, why am I sitting alone in my drawing room? Because I'm unemployed, and it's Friday night. Uh, every night's a Friday night when you're unemployed, and I have nothing else on my agenda, thanks to COVID, besides... Uh, just doing more podcasts and getting through this book, which has a million chapters in it. Uh, this week, we're going to read David Copperfield, or continue to read it by Charles Dickens. Uh, it's the eighth novel, uh, first published as a serial in 1849 uh, to 1850. And then he said, oh, this is good stuff. So he made it into an actual book in 1850, which is widely considered his most popular work. He was born the 7th of February, 1812, and he died 9th of June, 1870. This is where I'd normally say, oh, I got nothing to say about him. I've gone through every cute little fun fact or tidbit, but I actually found one. I found a website that uh, actually has information about him uh, that I haven't already read before. So let's learn about this one uh, from the website discoverwalks.com, <clears throat> which is weird. Charles Dickens had a secret door in his house. Well, that's fun. Let's learn more about it. There was a secret door in the form of a fake bookcase in his study. These fake books had titles such as The Life of a Cat in nine volumes. His home was at Gads Hill in Kent. And the bookshelf had other fake book titles like 47 volumes of the history of the short Chancery Suit, uh, Socrates on Wedlock, uh, King Henry VIII's Evidence of Christianity, and the series uh, The Wisdom of Our Ancestors. Uh, I, Ignorance. Oh, one, Ignorance. Two, Superstition. Three, The Block. Four, The Stake. Five, The Rack. Six, Dirt. And seven, Disease. Well, the fake door uh, led to a room that is most uh, preserved in his house. Inside the room was a, a Batman costume. What? From the Victorian era? Huh? These book titles were all made up by Dickens himself. The Batman costume? That seems weird. I, I feel like I need to look that one up. There's nothing. Let's go to Google. I, I normally use DuckDuckGo because I'm a giant nerd, but we'll go to Google. Uh, nothing. He had a Batman costume in his secret room. What the heck is going on here? Uh. <laughs> well, that was weird. All right, let's recap the previous chapter. David has to say goodbye to the McWeber family since they all got out of their debt and are heading to the heartland, uh, out to the, to the suburbs. 
David decides that he's going to run away from the bottle factory and see if he can stay with his weird aunt. That's still probably all mad and angry that he didn't turn out to be a girl. He tries to get some long-legged kid to take his trunk to the post office, uh, but the kid's weird and uh, probably inbred and realizes that he's trying to run away from the child labor, which he loves, and uh, takes off with David's money and the box, and uh, David chases after him and uh, can't seem to get him to stop going to the police. And people around the city just start grabbing at him, all weird. Uh, David decides to hit the road and go ahead to his aunt's by himself without the money or uh, the trunk. Well, Grandfather Clock still hasn't gone. I have nothing else to say. I'm not going to give out any more of my fun tidbits because i got to hold on to those like they're more precious to me than diamonds with this author in this book. Uh, what have I done recently? Uh, nothing. I, I realize that when I don't get out of the house very much and I'm just hanging around my kids all the time, that when I do go out, I usually get kind of sneers from the people at the grocery store or Target or liquor store whenever I do that. And I think that I must look like a monster. There must be something with me, like a homeless person or a creepy guy. Uh, and I can't tell if it's just my head or if it's really happening. But the grandfather clock went, so why don't we just dive into the story? Uh, to add to the uh, part about the secret room, I... After my divorce, stayed with a friend. Uh, they loaned me a bedroom to stay in and everything. And I stayed there for about nine months, and they had a secret door. Uh, they lived in a rambler, and for people that don't live in the heartland of America, uh, that don't know what a rambler is, it's just a one-level home. There's no upstairs, uh, and if you're in the south, there's no basement. And they uh, they had a, a secret room that they showed me probably about eight months into my stay there. And they said, oh, we got a secret door. And I go, oh, what's that? And they showed it to me, and they have this Ikea bookshelf, like a not exciting bookshelf at all, that apparently was bolted into this secret door on a hinge. They pull it back, and uh, they reveal the room. And all it was was a, just like a, a small closet where they kept, like, board games and stuff, as if they were in, the, like, the Royal Tannenbaums, just board games on shelves and like one naked light bulb hanging in the center. And I go, well, that's not exciting at all. If you're going to have a secret room, do something. Where's the whips and chains? Where's the, the adult materials? There's got to be something here to make it a secret room. And they're like, nah, now we just keep our board games in there. Well, anyways, uh, I'm still upset about the Batman thing, a Batman costume. I guess in the turn of the last century, a, a Batman costume just meant it was like a, a costume for Halloween where a guy dresses as a bat or something. I don't know. It's, it's never going to leave my mind, and I won't be able to sleep tonight. <sighs> All right, let's just dive into the story. Chapter 13, the sequel of my resolution. Eh, for anything I know, I may have had some wild idea of running all the way to Dover. Uh, when I gave up the pursuit of the young man with the uh, donkey cart, the long-legged boy, and started for Greenwich. Gr Greenwich. 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 I don't know how to pronounce this. It's G-R-E-E-N-W-I-C-H. It seems simple. Greenwich. I don't know. All right, let's move on. It's Friday night. I've been in the house a lot. 
my scattered senses were soon uh, collected as to that point if I had, for I came to a stop in the in the Kent Road at a terrace uh, with a piece of water before it, a piece, and a, a great foolish image in the middle, huh? Blowing a dry shell, okay. Here I sat down on the doorstep, quite spent, burp, and exhausted with the efforts I had already made, and, and with a, hardly a breath enough to cry for the loss of my box and half-guinea. Perp. It was by this time uh, dark, and I heard the clock strike ten as I sat, resting. But it was a summer night, fortunately, in the fine and fine weather. And when I recovered my breath and had got rid of a stifling sensation in my throat, uh, what's that? I rose up and went on. Why is this chapter bothering me? Uh, in the midst of my distress, I think the Batman costume is still upsetting me, and now everything bothers me. Uh... In the midst of my distress, I had no notion of going back. I doubt if I should have had any, though there had been a, a, a Swiss snowdrift in the Kent Road. What's a Swiss snowdrift? Not looking it up. But my standing possessed of only three halfpence in the world, and I'm sure I wonder how they came to be left in my pocket on a Saturday night, exclamation point, in parentheses. Troubled me nonetheless because I went on. Oh, I began to picture myself as a scrap of newspaper intelligence, uh, my being found dead in a day or two under some uh, eh, hedge. And I trudged on miserably, though as fast as I could, until I happened to pass a eh, little shop where it was written up that the ladies' and gentlemen's wardrobes were bought, and that was the best price was given for rags, bones, and uh, kitchen stuff. The master of this shop was sitting at the door, in his shirt sleeves, smoking, as and uh, there was a great many coats and pairs of trousers dangling from the low ceiling, and, and only two feeble candles burning inside to show that they were. I fancied that he looked like a man on a revengeful disposition who had hung all his enemies and was enjoying himself. That's a weird little conclusion to come to. My late experiences with Mr. and Mrs. McWeber suggested to me that there might be a means of keeping off the wolf. Uh, for a little while. Oh, I went up the next by street, took off my waistcoat, rolled it neatly under my arm, and came back to the shop door. I love he's got to go hide and put on this little show. If you, if you please, sir, I said, I am to sell this for a fair price. Mr. Dollaby, Dollaby was the name of the shop door, at least it took the waistcoat, uh, stood for his pipe on its head, uh, against the doorpost, went into the shop, followed by me, snuffed the two candles with his fingers, spread the waistcoat on the counter, and looked at it there, uh, held it up against his light, and looked at it there, and ultimately said, yeah, what do you call a price now uh, for this here little whisket? Oh, you know best, sir, I returned modestly. I can't be buyer and seller, too, said Mr. Dollaby. Uh, put a price on this, uh, here, little waistcoat. Uh, would 18 pence be? I hinted after some hesitation. Oh, Mr. Dollaby rolled it up again and gave it to me back. I would burp. Jeez, I'm super gassy right now. I don't know why that is. I should rob my family, he said, if I was to offer nine pence for it. 
Well, this is a disagreeable way of putting the business, because it imposed upon me, a perfect stranger, the unpleasantness of asking Mr. Dollaby to rob his family on my account. My circumstances being so very pressing, however, I said I would take nine pence for it, if he pleased. Mr. Dollaby, not without some grumbling, gave nine pence. I wished him good night and walked out of the shop, the richer by that sum and the poorer by my waistcoat. And when I buttoned my jacket... Uh, that was not much. I indeed, I foresaw pretty clearly that my jacket would go next, and that I should have to make the best of my way to Dover in a shirt and a pair of trousers. And might deem myself lucky if I got there even in that trim. Uh, but my mind did not run so much on this as it might be supposed, uh, beyond a general impression of distance before me, and of the young man with the donkey cart having used me cruelly. I think I had no... A uh, very unurgent sense of my difficulties when I once again set off with my nine pence in my pocket. A plan? Uh, it had occurred to me for passing the night, which I was uh, going to carry into my execution. This was to lie behind the wall at the back of the old school in a corner where there used to be a uh, haystack. I imagined it would be a, a kind of company to have the boys in the bedroom where I used to tell the stories so near me, although the boys would know nothing of my being there, and the bedroom would yield me no shelter. I had a, a hard day's work. and was pretty well jaded when I came climbing out. At last, upon the level of Blackheath, it caught me, so what is he talking about? Some trouble to find out Salem House, uh, but I found it, and I found a haystack in the corner, and I lay down by it, having first walked round the hall and looked up at the windows, and seen that all was dark and silent within. Never shall I forget the lonely sensation of first lying down without a roof above my head. Sleep came upon me as it came on many other outcasts, against whom house doors were locked and house dogs barked that night, and I dreamed of lying in my old school bed, taking to the boys in my room, and found myself sitting upright with Steerforth's name upon my lips, looking wildly at the stars that were glistening and glimmering above me. And when I, when I remembered uh, where I was at that untimely hour, uh, a feeling stole upon me uh, that made me get up, afraid of uh, I don't know what, and walk about. Uh, but the fainter glimmering of the stars and the pale light in the sky where the day was coming reassured me. And my eyes being very heavy, I lay down again and slept, though with a knowledge in my sleep that it was cold, until the warm beams of the sun, then the ringing of the getting-up bell at Salem House awoke me. If I could have hoped that Steerforth was there... I would have lurked about until he came out alone, but I knew he must have felt uh, long left long since. Traddles, that eh, still remained perhaps, but it was very doubtful, and I had not sufficient confidence in my discretion of, or of good luck. However, my strong resilience was on his good nature to wish to trust him with my situation, so I crept away from the wall as Mr. Creakle's boys were getting up and struck into the long and dusty track which I had first known to be the Dover Road when I was one of them, and but as little expected that any eyes would ever see me the way farther as I was upon now upon it. You just take a moment to reflect on the fact that he can't stop thinking about Steerforth in a weird, uh, in a weird, weird way. Uh, just odd that he sits there looking at the stars and thinking about him and how he'd like to catch him. Also, kids seem to come and go from the school on a regular basis, so now he thinks Steerforth probably isn't there anymore. 
How does that work? When you go to a school, you're kind of stuck there forever. At least here in America. I don't know how it works in England. But if you're at a school, you're probably just going to be there till you're done being at the school. So it's weird how it, kids come and go and no one questions it. Uh, you know, school teachers and principals don't reach out to say, where's that kid? Well, whatever. Let's move on. What a different Sunday morning from the old Sunday morning at Yarmouth! Exclamation point. In due time, I heard the church bells ringing as I plodded on, and I met people who were going to church. Oh, and I passed the church, too, where the congregation were inside, and the sound of singing came out into the sunshine. While the beetle sat and cooled himself in the shade of the porch, or stood beneath the yew tree, with his hand to his forehead, glowering at me going by, but the, the peace and rest of the old Sunday morning were on everything. Except me, ah, there was a difference. I felt quite wicked in my dirt, my dust, in my, in my, in my tangled hair. But for the quiet picture I had conjured up of my mother in her youth and beauty, weeping by the fire, and my aunt relenting to her, I hardly think I should have had the courage to go on till the next day, but it always went before me, and I followed. Oh, I got that Sunday uh, through three and twenty miles on the straight road, though not very easily, for I was new to that kind of toil. Oh, I see myself as evening closes in, coming over the bridge at Rochester, foot sore and tired, and eating bread I had bought for supper. One or two little houses, uh, with the notice lodgings for travelers hanging out, had tempted me, but I was afraid of spending the few pence I had, and was even more afraid of the vicious looks of the trampers I had met or overtaken. I guess just homeless people. I'm not going to keep looking up every single word that causes me a problem in this story. I sought no shelter, therefore, but the sky and toiling into Chatham, which, in the night's aspect, was a, a, a mere dream of chalk and drawbridges and massless ships in a muddy river, roofed like Noah's arks, crept at last upon the sort of grass-grown battery overhanging a lane where a sentry was walking to and fro, period. Oh my god, that was a long one. Here I lay down near a cannon, and happy in the society of the sentry's footsteps, though he knew no more of my being above him than the boys at Salem House had known of my lying by the wall, uh, slept soundly until morning. Ah, oh, very stiff, and sore afoot I was in the morning, and quite dazed by the beating of drums and marching of troops, which seemed to hem me in on every side when I went down toward the long, narrow street, feeling that I could go but a very little way that day, uh, if I were to reserve any strength for getting to my journey's end, I resolved to make the sale of my jacket its principal business. Accordingly, I took the jacket off, yeah, that I might learn to do without it, and carrying it under my arm, began to tour of inspection of the various slop shops, which I was likely to place a sell a jacket in, uh, for the dealers in the second-hand clothes were numerous, and were, eh, generally speaking, yeah, on the lookout for customers at their shop doors, but as most of them had, hanging up among their stock, an officer's coat or two, uh, epaulets and all, and I was, oh, chest salad. That was a term I learned recently. If you see a military guy with a lot of badges on, it's called salad. I was rendered timid by the costly nature of their dealings and walked about for a long time without offering my merchandise to anyone. Oh, 
This modesty of mine directed my attention to the marine store shops. Oh, and such shops as Mr. Dolby's, in preference to the regular dealers. At last I found one that I thought looked promising at the corner of a dirty lane, ending in an enclosure full of stinging nettles, against the palings of which some second-hand sailor's clothes that seemed to have uh, overflowed the shop were fluttering among some cots and rusty guns and, and oilskin hats and, and certain trays full of so many old rusty keys of so many sizes that they seemed various enough to open all the doors in the world into this shop, which was low and small, and which was darkened rather than lightened by a, a little window, overhung with clothes, and was descended into by some steps, I went with a palpitating heart, which was not relieved when an, when an ugly old man, with the lower part of his face all covered with stubbly gray beard, rushed out of a dirty den behind it, and seized me by the hair of my head. Ah, oh, he was a dreadful old man to look at, in a filthy flannel waistcoat, bleh, and smelling terribly of rum. Oh, his bedstead, oh, he's an alcoholic. His bedstead covered with a trampled and ragged piece of patchwork, which was in the den he had come from, where another little window showed a prospect of more stinging nettles and a lame donkey. Oh, oh, what do you want? Grinned this old man in a fierce monotone whine. Oh, my eyes and limbs. Ah, what do you want? Oh, my lungs and liver. <laughs> what do you want? Oh, Garu, Garu. <laughs> G-O-R-O-O. That's pretty, that's pretty fancy. I was so much dismayed by these words, was he? And particularly by the repetition of the last unknown one. Oh, so it's unknown across the board. Uh, which was a kind of rattle in his throat that I could make no answer. Whereupon, the old man still holding me by the hair. Repeat, oh, he's holding him by his hair. I kind of missed that part, even though I read it. Uh, just grabbing the kid by the hair and saying haru haru at him. Oh, what do you want? Oh, my eyes and limbs. What do you What do you want? Oh, my lungs and liver. What do you want? Oh, garu. Which he screwed out of himself uh, with a, an energy that made his eyes start in his head. Yeah, I, I wanted to know. I said, trembling. If you If you want to buy a jacket. Oh, let's uh, let's see the jacket cried the old man. Oh, my heart and fire. Show the jacket to us. <laughs> oh, my eyes and limbs. Bring the jacket out. <laughs> I kind of wish I could be this kind of person. Just to be this excited if anyone were to talk to me at Target and just start saying, oh, my hearts and livers. Yes, I know where you can find the Nutella. With that, he took his trembling hands, which were like the claws of a great bird out of my hair, and and put on a pair of spectacles, uh, not at all ornamental, to his inflamed eyes. Oh, oh, how much for the jacket, cried the old man after examining. Oh, Garou, how much for the jacket? Uh, half a crown, I answered, recovering myself. Oh, my lungs and liver, cried the old man. Oh, oh, my eyes, no. Oh, my limbs, no. Eighteen pence, Garou. Every time he uttered this ejaculation, his eyes seemed to be in danger of starting out, and every sentence he spoke he delivered in a sort of tune, always exactly the same, and more like a like a gust of wind. Burp, which begins low, mounts up high, and eh, falls again. Then any other comparison I can find for it. Well, said I, glad to have closed the bargain. I'll take eighteen pence. 
Oh, my liver, cried the old man, throwing the jacket on a shelf. Get out of the shop. Oh, my lungs. Get out of the shop. Oh, my eyes and lips grew. Don't ask for money. Make it an exchange. Uh, I was never so frightened in my life before or since, but I told him humbly that I wanted money and that nothing else was of any use to me, but that I would, I would wait for it as he desired outside. Well, that's weird. And he had no wish to hurry him. Uh, so I went outside and sat down in the shade of a corner. This is all weird. And I sat there for so many hours that the shades began, uh, became sunlight. And the sunlight became shade again. And still I sat there waiting for my money. Weird. He should just pay you on the spot. He's sitting inside with your jacket. Garou. There never was such another drunken madman in that line of business, I hope, that he was well-known in the neighborhood and enjoyed the reputation of having sold himself uh, to the devil. Oh, I soon understood from the visits they received for the boys, who continually came skirmishing about the shop, shouting that legend and calling to him to bring out his gold. Oh, you ain't poor. You know, Charlie, as you pretend. Bring out your gold. Bring out some of the... We got some of the gold you sold yourself to the devil for. Come, it's in the lining of his mattress. Charlie, rip it open and let's have some. All of this is insane. This and many offers to lend him a, a knife for the purpose exasperated him to such a degree that the whole day was a succession of rushes on his part and flights on the part of the boys. Sometimes in his rage he would take me for one of them and come at me. Mouthing as if he were to tear me to pieces, then remembering me just in time, would dive into the shop and lie upon his bed, as I thought from uh, the sound of his voice, yelling in a frantic way to his own windy tune, the quote, death of Nelson, oh, with a with an O before every line, and numeral gurus interspersed, as if this were not bad enough for me, and the boys connecting me with the establishment on the account of patience and perseverance with which I sat outside half dressed pelted me and with uh, and used uh, me very ill all day. He made many attempts to induce me to consent to an exchange, at one time coming out with a with a yeah, yeah I don't know, a fishing rod, and another with a with a fiddle, another with a, a cocked hat, another with a flute. But I resisted all these overtures and sat there in desperation each time asking him with with, with tears in my eyes for the money or my jacket. At last, he began to pay me at half pence at a time and was a full two hours getting by easy stages to a shilling. Oh, my eyes and limbs, he then cried, peeping hideously out of the shop after a long pause. Oh, will, you, will you go for two pence more? I can't, I said. I should be starved. Oh, my lungs and liver. Will you go, uh, will you go for three pence? I would go for nothing. If I could, I said, but I want the money badly. Oh, Garou! Parentheses. It is really impossible to express how he twisted his ejaculation out of himself as he peeped around the doorpost at me, showing nothing uh, but its crafty old head. End parentheses. Will you go for fourpence? I was so faint and weary that I closed this offer and taking the money out of his claw, not without trembling, and went away more hungry and thirsty than I had ever been. A little before sunset. But at an expense of three pence, I soon refreshed myself completely. And being in better spirits then, limped, because what, you got beer somewhere? Limped seven miles upon my road. My bed at night was under another, eh, haystack. 
where I rested comfortably, and after having washed my blistered feet in a stream, this is all very sad, and dressed them as well as I could, was able, with some cool leaves, this is all very sad. When I took the road again the next morning, I found it lay uh, through a succession of hop grounds and orchards, and was sufficiently late in the year for the orchards to be ruddy with the ripe apples, and in a few places the hop pickers were already at work. Oh, I thought it all extremely beautiful, and made up my mind to sleep among the hops that night, imagining some cheerful companionship in the long perspectives of poles, and with the graceful leaves twining around them. All the tampers were worse than ever that day, and inspired me with a dread that is yet quite fresh in my mind. Some of them were most ferocious-looking ruffians who, oh, here we go, here's the ruffians, the trampers, who uh, stared at me as I went by and stopped perhaps and called after me to come back and speak to them. And when I took to my heels, stoned me. Oh, I recollect a one young fellow, a tinker, I suppose, from his wallet and brazier, don't know what that means, who had a woman with him and who faced about and stared at me thus and roared to me in such a tremendous voice to come back. And I exalted and looked around. Come here, ah, when you called, said the tinker, or I'll rip your young body open. Oh, my God. I thought it was best to go back as I drew near to them, trying to perpetuate the tinker by my looks. I observed that the woman had a black eye. Now, where are you, where are you going, said the tinker. Uh, gripped the bottom of the oh the bosom of my shirt with his blackened hand. I'm uh, going to Dover, I said. Yeah, where do you come from? Asked the tinker, giving his hand another turn of my shirt and holding more securely. I come from London, I said. Uh, what lay you upon? Asked the tinker. Are you, are you, are you a prig? Okay, I'm going to look up prig. I'm trying not to dive into every single. A self-righteously moralistic person who behaves as if superior to others. Well, there you go. N- no, N-N-O, I said. Ain't you by G-dash? If you make a, a brag of your honesty to me, said the tinker, I'll knock your brains out. The G-dash is back. I hate that. Uh, the turn of the last century, they're really big on not giving full names. They just like do the first letter in a big dash. With his disengaged hand, he made a menace of striking me and then looked at me from his head to foot. Have you got the price of a pint of beer about you? (laughs) Said the tinker. If you have, out with it before I take it away. I should certainly have produced it, but that I met the woman's look. I saw her very slightly shake her head and form no with her lips. I... "'Am very poor,' I said, attempting a smile. "'And I've got no money.' "'Why, uh, what do you mean?' said the tinker, "'looked so sternly at me that I almost feared he saw the money in my pocket. "'Sir,' I stammered, "'what do you mean?' said the tinker, "'by wearing my brother's silk handkerchief. "'Give it over to here!' "'And he had mine off by my neck in a moment and tossed it to the woman.' The woman burst into a, well, a fit of laughter, as if she thought this was a joke, and tossed it back to me, nodded once, as slightly as before, and made the word go with her lips before I could obey. However, the tinker seized the handkerchief out of my hand with the roughness he threw me away like a feather, and putting it loosely around his own neck, uh, turned upon the woman with an oath, and 
knocked her down. Oh my God, it's just a free-for-all right now. I never shall forget seeing her fall backward on the hard road and lie there with her bonnet tumbled off and her, her hair all whitened in the dust, nor, when I looked back from a distance, seeing her sitting on the pathway, which was a bank by the roadside, wiping the blood from her face with a corner of her shawl while he went on ahead. This adventure... That frightened me so that afterwards, when I saw any of these people coming, I turned back till I could find a hiding place where I remained until they had gone out of sight, which happened so often that I was very seriously delayed. But under this difficulty, as under all difficulties of my journey, I seemed to be sustained and led on by my fanciful picture of my mother in her youth before I came into the world, as it always kept me company. It was there among the hops, when I lay down to sleep, it was there with me on my waking in the morning. It went before me all day as I have associated it ever since at the sunny street of Canterbury, dozing as it were in the hot light and with the sight of the old houses and gateways and the stately gray cathedral with the rooks sailing around the towers. When I came at last upon the bare wide downs near Dover, it relieved the solitary aspect of the scene with hope and not until I reached that first great aim of my journey and actually set foot in the town itself on the sixth day of my flight did it desert me. But then, strange to say, when I stood with my ragged shoes and my dusty, sunburnt, half-clothed figure, in the place so long desired it seemed to vanish like a dream and leave me helpless and uh, dispirited. I had uh, inquired about my aunt among the boatmen first and received uh, various answers. One said she lived the South Foreland Light and signed her whiskers by doing so. Another burp that she was made fast to the great buoy outside the harbor and could only be visited at half tide. <laughs> A third that she was locked up in Maidstone Jail for child stealing. A fourth, uh, that she was seen to mount a broom <laughs> in the high wind and make direct uh, callous. Uh, the fly drivers, among whom I inquired next, were equally jocose and equally disrespectful. And the shopkeepers, not liking my appearance, generally replied without hearing what I had to say that they had uh, got nothing for me. I felt more miserable and destitute than I had done any period of my running away. My money oh, was all gone. I had nothing left to dispose of. I was hungry, thirsty, and worn out, and seemed as distant from my end as I remained in London. The morning had worn away in these inquiries, and I was sitting on the step of an empty shop at the street corner near the marketplace, uh, deliberating upon wandering towards uh, those other places which had been mentioned, when a fly driver, coming by his carriage, dropped a horse cloth. Something good-natured in the man's face as I handed it up encouraged me to ask him if uh, he could tell me where Mrs. Trotwood lived. Though I had asked the question so often that it almost died upon my lips, Trotwood, said he, oh, let me see, oh, I know the name too, oh, uh, old lady, yes, I said, rather, uh, pretty stiff in the back, said he, making himself upright. Yes, I said. I should think it very likely. Yeah, carries a carries a bag, said he. A bag with a good deal of room in it. Is a gruffish and comes down upon you. Uh, sharp. Well, my heart sank within me as I acknowledged his undoubted accuracy of the description. Why then, I tell you what, said he. If you, if you go up there, pointing with his whip toward the heights, 
and keep right till you come on some houses facing the sea. I think you'll hear of her. My opinion is she won't stand anything. So here's a here's a penny for you. Oh, I oh I accepted the gift thankfully and brought a I bought a loaf with it. Dispatching this refreshment, by the way, I went to the direction of my friend had indicated and walked into a good distance without coming to the houses he had mentioned. At length, I saw some before me and approaching them, went into a little shop. It was what we used to call a general shop at home and inquired if they could have the goodness to tell me where Miss Trotwood lived. Oh, I addressed myself to a man behind the counter who was weighing some rice for a young woman, but the latter, taking the inquiry to himself, uh, turned round quickly. My mistress, she said, uh, what do you want with her, boy? Uh, I want, I replied, to speak to her, if you please. Uh, to beg of her, you mean, replied, uh, retorted the damsel. No, I said, indeed. But suddenly remembering that in truth I came for no other purpose, I held my peace in confusion and felt my face burn. My aunt's hands made, as I was supposed, uh, she was from what she had said, put her rice in a little basket and walked out of the shop, telling me that I could follow her if I wanted to know where Miss Trotwood lived. I needed no second permission, though I was by this time such a state of consternation and agitation that my legs shook under me. Oh, I followed the young woman, and we soon came to a very neat little cottage with cheerful bow windows in front of a small, eh, square gravel court of garden full of flowers, carefully tended and smelling deliciously. Well, uh, with that, let's retire into the master bedroom, where we can catch up on the latest in romance literature from Penguin Random House Books. Oh, there you are, looking appealing on my master bedroom, silken sheets. But I want you to put on this parka, because we're going to learn about a new romance novel called One Snowy Night by Patience Griffin. Uh, it's part of the Sweet Home Alaska series. About one snowy night, a woman struggling to raise her daughter alone in a small Alaskan town finds her simple existence upended when the father of her child returns. Oh, this is not a New York Times bestselling author. Oh, this must be a brand spanking new author. Or a highly unsuccessful author. Sweet Home Alaska was once thriving, idyllic town where a stone's throw hardware and haberdashery and the sisterhood of the quilt were the cornerstones of the community. Then, in one fatal moment, when two young lives were cut short and everything changed, now the stone family businesses have closed. The diner, ah, it's in the red. And the population is dwindled to 573. This is all very specific. After the tragic accident that took her sister's life, uh, Hope McKnight discovered she was pregnant and gave up her dreams of college to raise her daughter. A lot of sacrifice happening here. When Donovan Stone returned to sell his family's properties and cut the final ties with the sweet home, uh, he's shocked to find Hope is still there, uh, a single mother. Uh, the pull between Hope and Donovan uh, is as powerful as ever. But so are the secrets and lies stemming from that long-ago tragedy. Will they be able to overcome the past? Or will the heartbreak of bygone days destroy their love again? So be sure to check out uh, One Snowy Night by Patience Griffin. It comes out February 23rd of uh, this year. The cover has 
two people in the snow with, they're both wearing, well, the man's wearing duck boots and the woman's wearing Uggs. And they're hugging. She's got her, she's kind of got her legs up kind of playfully behind her as they're hugging. And they're, yeah, it looks like they're about to kiss. I, I hope it comes to fruition. <laughs> and, uh, and there's a dog for no reason in the foreground, kind of looking cute, very photoshopped in. Everything's photoshopped in this uh, book cover. And I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Well, with that, put your clothes back on. And uh, let's go back to the library and finish reading this chapter of this book. This is Miss Trotwood, said the young woman. Now you know. And that's all I've got to say. With which words she hurried into the house as if to shake off the responsibility of my appearance and left me standing at the garden gate looking disconsolately over the top of it towards the parlor window where a, a muslin curtain partially withdrawn in the middle, a large round green screen or, or, or fan fastened on the windsill. Uh, a small table and a great chair suggested to me that my aunt might be, at that moment, seated in awful state. Oh, my shoes, by this time, were in woeful condition. My, the soles had shed themselves bit by bit, and, and the upper leathers had broken and burst until the very shape and form of the shoes departed from them. Uh, my hat, which served to be uh, for a nightcap too, was so crushed, oh, and bent, that no old battered handless saucepan on a dunghill need have been ashamed to vie with it. My shirt and trousers stained with heat, oh, dew, grass, and the Kentish soil of which I slept, and torn, besides, might have frightened the birds uh, from my aunt's garden as I stood by the gate, <laughs> and my hair had known no comb or brush since I left London. My face, neck, and hands from unaccustomed exposure to the air and sun were burnt and very brown. From head to foot, I was powdered almost as white with chalk and dust as if I had come out from a, from a lion kin. In this plight, and with a strong consciousness of it, I waited to introduce myself to make my first impression on my formidable aunt. Ah, the unbroken stillness of the parlor window, leading me to infer, after a while, that she was uh, not there, I lifted my eyes up to the window above it, where I saw a florid, pleasant-looking gentleman uh, with a gray beard who shut up one eye in a, uh, in a grotesque manner, nodded his head at me eh, several times, shook it at me as often, laughed, and went away. That's weird. I had been discomposed uh, enough before, but I was so much the more discomposed by this unexpected behavior that I was on the point of slinking off uh, to think how I might best proceed when there came out of the house a, a lady with her handkerchief tied over her cap and a pair of gardening gloves on her hands wearing a, a gardening pocket like a, a tall man's apron and carrying a, a great knife. I knew her immediately to be Miss Betsy for she came stalking out of the house exactly as my poor mother had so often described her stalking up our garden at Blunderstone Rookery. Eh, uh, eh, uh, uh, go away, said Miss Betsy, shaking her head and making a distant chop in the air with her knife. <laughs> Just randomly, sh like, chopping the air with her knife. Go along. Eh, uh, uh, no boys here, 
exclamation point. Oh, I watched her with my heart and my lips as she marched to a corner of the garden and stooped to dig up some little root there, uh, then without a scrap of courage, with her knife? What, she got like a, like a butcher's knife just chopping up the ground? This is weird. Uh, but with a great deal of desperation, I softly went in and stood beside her, touching her with my finger. If you please, ma'am, I began. She started to look up. If you please, aunt. Eh, eh, exclaimed Miss Betsy in a tone of amazement I have never heard approached. If you please, aunt, I am your nephew. Oh, Lord, said my aunt and sat flat down in the garden path. I am David Copperfield of Blunderstone in Suffolk, where you uh, came on one night when I was born and saw my dear mama. I have been very unhappy since she uh, died. I have been slighted and taught nothing and thrown upon myself and put to work not fit for me. It made me run away uh, to you. Uh, I was robbed at first setting out and have uh, walked all the way and never slept in a bed since I began the journey. Here, my self-support gave way all at once, and uh, with a movement of my hands, I intended to show her my ragged state and call it to witness that I had suffered something. Uh, I broke into a, a passion of crying, uh, which I suppose had been pent up within me eh, all the week. Oh, you can hear my cat make a noise. I've uh, cat-proofed my basement, so now the cat can come down and stop scratching at the door. And now he's just making a ton of noise. So... Everything with a cat is always a mistake. Uh, mistake. My aunt, with every uh, sort of expression but wonder, discharged from her countenance, uh, sat on the gravel, staring at me until I began to cry. Uh, when she got up in a, uh, a great hurry, collared me, and took me into the parlor. Her first proceeding there was to unlock a, a tall press, bring out several bottles, and pour some of the contents into of each into my mouth. I think they uh, must have been taken out at random, for I am sure I tasted aniseed water, uh, uh, anchovy sauce, and, uh, and a salad dressing. When she had administered these restoratives, uh, restoratives, restoratives, Nope, moving forward. As I was still quite hysterical and uh, unable to control my sobs, she put me on the sofa with a shawl under my head and a handkerchief uh, from her own head under my feet. That's weird. Uh, lest I should try, uh, should sully the cover. And then, uh, oh, because <laughs> he's a dirty little boy, uh, sitting herself down behind the green fan or screen I have already mentioned so that I could not see her face ejaculated at intervals. Mercy on us, uh, letting these exclamations off like minute guns. After a time, she rang the bell. Janet, said my aunt, uh, when her servant came in, go upstairs and give my compliments to Mr. Dick and, uh, and say I wish to speak to him. Well, uh, Janet looked a little surprised to see me lying stiffly on the sofa. I was afraid to move, lest I should be displeasing to my aunt, but uh, went on with her errand. My aunt, uh, with her hands behind her, walked up and down the room until the gentleman who had squinted at me from the upper window uh, came in laughing. Mr. Dick, said my aunt, don't be a fool. Don't make jokes. I understand. We're all thinking the same thing. Don't be a fool, because nobody can be more discreet than you can when you choose. We all know that. So, uh, so don't be a fool, wherever you are. The gentleman 
was serious immediately, oh, and looked at me. I thought as if he were to entreat me to say nothing about the window. Mr. Dick! <laughs> Don't. Nope. No jokes. Said my aunt, you have heard me mention David Copperfield. Now don't pretend not to have a memory, because you and I know better. Uh, David Copperfield, said Mr. Dick, who did not appear uh, to me to remember much about it. David Copperfield? Uh, uh, yes, to be sure. David, certainly. Well, said my aunt, this is his boy, his son. He would be as like his father as it is possible to be if he were not so like his mother, too. His son, said Mr. Dick, David's son, indeed. Yes, pursued my aunt, and he has done a pretty piece of business. He has run away. Ah, his sister, Betsy Trotwood, uh, never would have run away. My aunt shook her head firmly, confident in the character and behavior of the girl who was uh, never was born. Oh, and you think she wouldn't have run away, said Mr. Dick. Oh, bless and save the man, exclaimed my aunt sharply. How he talks. Don't I know she wouldn't? She would have lived with her godmother, and we should have been uh, devoted to one another, where, in the name of wonder, should his sister, Betsy Trotwood, have run from or to? Uh, nowhere, said Mr. Dick. Uh, well, then, returned my aunt, softened by the reply, how can you pretend to be wool gatherer? Oh, my cat is driving me nuts. What's he getting into over there? What are you doing? Where are you? <sighs> All right, whatever. I don't know what he's doing. Where did I leave off? I don't remember. Uh, well, there, turn my aunt softly sharply. How can you pretend to be wool-gathering, Dick, when you are as sharp as a surgeon's lancet? Now, here you see young David Copperfield. And the question I put to you is, what shall I do with him? What shall you do with him, said Mr. Dick, feebly scratching his head. Oh, do with him. Yes, said the aunt, with a grave look, and her forefinger held up. Come! I want some very sound advice. Why, if I was you, said Mr. Dick, considering and looking vacantly at me, I should, uh, the contemplation of me seemed uh, to inspire him with a sudden idea, and he added briskly, oh, I should, I should wash him. Uh, Janet, said my aunt, turning round with a quiet triumph, uh, which I did not understand, Mr. Dick sets us all right. Heat the bath. Although I was deeply interested in this dialogue, I could not help observing my aunt, uh, Mr. Dick, and Janet while it was in progress, and completing a survey, I had already been engaged in making of the room. My aunt was a tall, hard-featured lady, but by no means uh, ill-looking. There was an inflexibility in her face, in her voice, in her gait and carriage, amply sufficient to account for the effect she had made upon a gentle creature like my mother. But her features were rather handsome than otherwise, though unbending and austere. I uh, particularly noticed that she had a very quick, uh, bright eye. Oh, 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 her hair, which was gray, eh, was arranged in two plain divisions under what I believe would be called a mob cap. All right, let's look up mob cap. Come on. A large, soft hat covering all of the hair and typically having a decorative frill uh, worn indoors by women in the 18th and early 19th centuries. Worn indoor, an indoor hat? Eh, in these modern times, we have indoor infinity scarves. 
I mean, cap, uh, much more common uh, than now, uh, with the side pieces fastening under her chin, her dress was of a lavender color and perfectly neat, but scantily made, as if she desired to be as little encumbered as possible. Oh, I remembered that I thought it uh, in form more like a, a riding habit with the superfluous skirt cut off uh, than anything else. She wore at her side a gentleman's gold watch if I might judge from its size and make, with an appropriate chain, ah, and seals, oh, like little trinkets, and she had some linen at her throat, uh, not unlike a shirt collar, and things at her wrists, like uh, little shirt waistbands. Mr. Dick, as I have already said, was gray-headed and uh, florid, and I should have said all about him in saying so, but uh, had not his head been curiously bowed, not by age, uh, it reminded me of one of Mr. Creakle's boy's heads after a beating and his gray eyes, prominent and large, with a strange kind of watery brightness in them that made me, in combination with his vacant manner, his submission to my aunt, and his childish delight when he praised him, suspect him of being a little mad, semicolon, there's no period yet, this is a very long paragraph with no periods, though, uh, if he were mad, uh, how he came to be there puzzled me extremely, period. <clears throat> when he was dressed uh, like any other ordinary gentleman in a loose gray morning coat and waistcoat and white trousers, and had a, a watch in his fob and uh, his money in his pockets, which he rattled as if he were very proud of it, Janet... I was a pretty blooming girl, about uh, ooh, 19 or 20, and a perfect picture of neatness. Though I made no further observation of her at the moment, I may mention here what I did not discover until afterwards, namely that she was one of a series of protégés whom my aunt had taken into her service expressly to educate and in renouncement of mankind, and who had generally completed their abdication uh, by marrying the baker. Oh, this cat. The room was as neat ah, as Janet or my aunt as I laid down my pen. A moment since, to think of it, uh, the air from the sea came blowing in again, mixed with the perfume of flowers. And then I saw the old-fashioned furniture brightly rubbed and polished, uh, my aunt's involuntable chair and table by the round green fan in the bow window. The drug... drug get-covered carpet. Oh, okay. Uh, the cat... The kettle holder, uh, the two canaries, the old china, the punch bowl full of dried rose leaves, the tall press guarding all these sorts of bottles and, and pots, and wonderfully out of keeping with the rest, my dusty self upon the sofa, taking note of everything, uh, Janet had gone away to get the bath ready when my aunt, to my great alarm, came in one moment rigid with indignation. Oh, and had hardly voiced a cry out, uh, Janet, uh, donkeys! Upon which Janet came running up the stairs as if the house were in flames, darted out on a little piece of uh, green in front, and warded off all these saddle donkeys, ladily ridden, ridden, and had presumed to set hoof upon it, while my aunt, rushing out of the house, seized the bridle of a third animal laden with the bestriding child, turned him, led him forth from these sacred precincts, and boxed the ears of the unlucky urchin in attendance, who had dared to profane that hallowed ground. To this hour, 
And I don't know yeah, whether my aunt had any lawful right away over that patch of green, but she had settled it in her own mind that she had, that it was always the same to her, and that one great outrage of her life demanding to be constantly avenged was the passage of a donkey over that immaculate spot. In whatever occupation she was engaged, however, interesting to her conversation in which she was taking part, a donkey turned the current of her ideas in a moment, and she was uh, upon him straight. Jugs of water and watering pots were kept in secret places ready to be discharged upon the offending boys. Sticks ah, were laid in the ambush behind the door. Sallies were made all hours, and incessant war prevailed. It perhaps... It, there was an, ex- an agreeable excitement yeah, to the donkey boys, or perhaps the more sagacious of the donkeys, understanding how the case stood, delighted with constitutional obscenity in coming that way. I only know that there were uh, ooh, three alarms before the bath was ready, and on that occasion of the last, the most desperate of all, I saw my aunt engage uh, single-handed with a sandy-headed lad of fifteen and bump his sandy head against her own gate. Uh, Before it seemed to comprehend what was the matter, these interruptions were of the more ridiculous to me, because she was giving me broth uh, out of a tablespoon at the time, uh, having firmly persuaded herself that I was actually starving and must have received nourishment in the first in very small quantities. And while my mouth was uh, yet open to receive the spoon, she would put it back into the basin and cry, Janet, uh... Donkeys! And then go out of the assault. The bath, oh, was a great comfort. For I began to be sensible of acute pains in my limbs from lying out in the fields, and was now so tired and low that I could hardly keep myself awake for five minutes together. Uh, when I had bathed, they, uh, I mean my aunt and Janet, enrobed me in a shirt and a pair of trousers belonging to Mr. Dick and tied me up in two or three great shawls. Uh, what sort of bundle I looked like? Nah, I don't know, but I felt a very hot one. <laughs> uh, feeling also very faint and drowsy, I soon lay down on the sofa again, and uh, oh, I fell asleep. It might have been a dream, originating in the fancy which had occupied my mind so long, but I awoke with the impression that my aunt had come and bent over me, and uh, put my hair away from my face, and laid my head more comfortably, and and then uh, stood looking at me. uh, The words, uh, pretty fellow, or or poor fellow, seemed to be in my ears too, but it certainly was there, uh, there was nothing else. When I awoke, uh, to lead me to believe that they had been uttered by my aunt, who was sitting in the bow window, gazing at the sea from behind... (laughs) behind the green fan, which was mounted on a kind of swivel and turned away. Oh, I'm so tempted to go find out what that cat's doing. But I'm not. i got to finish this chapter. Oh, we dined soon after I woke off a a roast fowl. Ooh, and a pudding. I, sitting at the table, not unlike a trust bird myself, and moving my arms with considerable difficulty. But as my aunt had swathed me up, I made no complaint of being inconvenienced. All this time, I was deeply anxious to know what she was going to do with me. Oh, but she took her dinner in profound silence, except for on the occasionally fixed her eyes on me sitting opposite and said, uh, uh, Mercy upon us. Which did not by any means relieve my anxiety. The cloth being drawn and uh, some sherry uh, put upon the table, of which I had a glass. Why is this kid drinking so much alcohol? 
Uh, my aunt sent up for Mr. Dick again, who joined us and looked as wise as he could when she requested him to attend to my story, which she elicited from me gradually by a course of questions. Uh, during my recital, uh, she kept her eyes on Mr. Dick, don't make any jokes, who I thought would have gone to sleep but for that, and who, whensoever he lapsed into a, into a smile, uh, was checked by a, by a frown from my aunt. Whatever possessed that poor unfortunate baby, uh, she must go and be married again, said my aunt uh, when I had finished. I can't conceive. Perhaps she fell in love with her second husband, Mr. Dick suggested. Fell in love, repeated my aunt. Yeah, what do you, what do you mean? What business had she to do it? Well, perhaps, Mr. Dick simpered after thinking a little, she did it for pleasure. Pleasure indeed, replied my aunt. A mighty pleasure for a poor baby to fix her simple faith upon any dog of a fellow, certain to ill-use her in some way or other. Uh, what did she propose to herself? I should like to know. She had one husband, and she had seen David Copperfield out of the world, who was always running after wax dolls from his cradle. Oh, what does that mean? She had got a baby. Oh, there were a pair of babies uh, when she gave birth to this child sitting here that Friday night. And, uh, and what more did she want? Mr. Dick secretly shook his head at me as if he thought there was no getting over this. Yeah, she couldn't even have a baby like anybody else, said my aunt. There was this child's sister, uh, Betsy Trotwood, not forthcoming. Don't tell me. Mr. Dick seemed quiet, f quite frightened. Uh, kind of broke off weird on the page. A little man of a doctor with his head on one side, said my aunt. Jellips, or whatever his name was. Yeah, what was he about? All he could do was say to me, like a robin redbreast, as he is, uh, it's a boy. A boy, yeah, the imbecility of the whole set of them. The hardiness of the ejaculation startled Mr. Dick exceedingly. Oh, man, <laughs> I need to take a moment. The jokes are coming, ooh, coming quickly at me. And me, too, if I'm not to tell the truth. And then, as if this was not enough, and she had not stood sufficiently in the light of the child's sister, Betsy Trotwood, said my aunt, she marries a, a second time. It goes and marries a, a murderer or a, or a man with a name like it. It stands in this child's light. And the natural consequence is uh, anybody but a baby might have foreseen that he prowls and, uh, and, and wanders. He's like Cain before he was grown up, as he can be. Mr. Dick looked hard at me as if uh, to identify me in this character. Yes, I also heard it. And then there's that woman with the pagan name. Said my aunt, uh, that peggity. Uh, she goes and gets married next because she's not seen enough of the evil attending such things. She goes and gets married next, as the child relates. I only hope, said my aunt, shaking her head, that her husband is one of those uh, poker husbands who abound in the newspapers and will beat her well with one. I could not uh, bear to hear my old nurse so decried and made the subject of such a wish. I told my aunt that indeed she was mistaken, that Peggotty uh, was the best, uh, the truest, uh, most faithful, most devoted, and most self-denying friend any servant uh, in the world who uh, had ever loved me dearly, who had ever loved my mother 
dearly, who had held my mother's dying head upon her arm, as we remember her bragging about it, on those face my mother had imprinted her last grateful kiss, and my remembrance of them both choking me, I broke down as I was trying to say that her home was my home, and that all she had was mine, and that I would have gone to her for shelter but for her humble station, which made me fear that I might bring some trouble on her. I broke down, I say, as there's no periods, by the way, with this whole thing, as I was trying to say so, and laid my face and my hands upon the table, period. Well, well, said my aunt, the child is right to stand by those who stood by him. Janet, eh, donkeys. I thoroughly believe that but for those unfortunate donkeys, we should have come to a good understanding, for my aunt had laid her hand upon my shoulder, and the impulse was upon me, thus emboldened to embrace her and beseech her protection. But the interruption and the disorder she had thrown into the struggle outside put an end to all the softer ideas for the present and kept my aunt indignantly declaiming to Mr. Dick about her determination to appeal for readiness to the laws of her country and to bring accusations for trespass against the whole donkey proprietorship of Dover until tea time. Period. After tea... We sat at the window, on the lookout, as I imagined, from my aunt's sharp expression of her face for more invaders, until dusk, when Janet set candles and a, and a backgammon board on the table, and pulled down the blinds. Now, Mr. Dick, said my aunt, with a, with a grave look, and her forefinger up as before, I'm going to ask you another question. Look at this child! David's son, said Mr. Dick, with an attentive puzzled face. Exactly so, returned my aunt. What would you, what would you do with him now? Do with David's son, said Mr. Dick. I kind of like Mr. Dick so far. Aye, replied my aunt, with David's son. Oh, said Mr. Dick. Yes, do with Dash. I should put him to bed. Janet, cried my aunt, with the same complacent triumph that I had remarked before, Mr. Mr. Dick sets us all right. If the bed is ready, uh, we'll take him up to it. Janet, reporting it to be quite ready, I was taken up to it kindly, but in some sort of like a prisoner. My aunt going in front and Janet bringing up the rear. Uh, the only circumstance which gave me any uh, new hope was my aunt stopping on the stairs to inquire about a, about a smell of fire that was prevalent there. And Janet's replying that she had been making tinder down in the kitchen of my old shirt, but there was uh, no other clothes in the room than the odd heap of things I wore. And when I was left there with a little taper, for which my aunt forewarned me would burn exactly for five minutes, I heard them lock my door on the outside. Turning these things over my mind, I deemed it possible that my aunt... Uh, who could know nothing of me, might suspect I had a, uh, had a habit of running away and took precautions on that account to have me in safekeeping. I just want to go back to the part where uh, they burned his clothes. That's kind of insulting. The room uh, was a pleasant one. At the top of the house, overlooking the sea, on which the moon was shining brilliantly. After I had said my prayers and the candle had burnt out, I remember how I still sat looking at the moonlight on the water, as if I could hope to read my fortune in it, as in a, in a bright book, or to see my mother with her child coming from heaven along that shining path to, to look upon me as she had looked when I last saw her sweet face. I remember how the solemn feeling with 
which at length I turned my eyes away, yielded to the sensation of gratitude and rest which the sight of the white curtain bed, and how much more the lying softly down upon it, nestling in the snow-white sheets, uh, exclamation point, ex- inspired, period. I remember how I thought of all the solitary places under the night sky where I had slept, and how I prayed that I might never be houseless anymore, and never might forget the houseless, I remember how I, how I, I, I seemed to float. Then, down the melancholy glory of the track upon the sea, away into to the world of uh, to the world of dreams. Well. Now we're back in the uh, drawing room, and my cat is all over this table right next to me. Don't make any noise. Don't walk in front of me. Oh, you son of a... Don't put your tail on the mic. What did we learn? Uh, Well, let's go over a little bit here. Uh, Recap. David heads to Dover uh, and sells most of his clothes, uh, including his whisket, uh, to buy food. And he keeps sleeping outside all the time. Uh, He is uh, laboring still over what's-his-name from school that he loves so much, which is weird, and also thinks I'll never see that man again. Uh, and then he he meets a lot of terrifying people that threaten to kill him and take his money and everything else. Uh, so that gives him PTSD. Uh, when he gets to Dover, uh, he has problems finding his aunt's house, so he keeps asking a bunch of strangers uh, until he finally he discovers uh, that she's sharing a house with a man... Uh, only known as uh, Mr. Dick. <laughs> Get it? The place is actually nice, uh, but Miss Betsy's weird. Uh, she takes him in, uh, feeds him, bathes him, and treats him weird, like burns all of his clothes and makes him, when he first sits down on the couch and stuff, like puts a blanket down and covers his feet so he doesn't get any dirt anywhere. So that's also kind of a big uh, sucks to you. No one's nice to David at all in this story, even the people he's counting on. Uh, including a crazy, crazy lady. Uh, David falls asleep. Uh, He's unsure if she'll keep him and uh, what she might do with him. So, uh, what's good? Well, like I always say, uh, the story's well-written. I, as the reader, I've said this before, can't stand how he uses commas all the time on giant paragraphs and almost never uses a period. It's like he's scared the book's going to end if he uses a period. Uh, what sucks, just how people continually treat David. Maybe what sucks is, I can actually say, the writing a little bit. Uh, though the writing is still very good, uh, and I'm enjoying the book, uh, Dickens can't stop pounding it into our heads about how David is not being treated well by anybody. Everyone takes advantage of them, everyone's looking out for themselves, and I guess the world is a little bit that way, but... There's also in the world empathetic people that feel bad for you and want to help you out. And he hasn't had a single one. So we're just, just this story where it's just being drilled into us. It's like watching a puppy get beat over and over and over again. So what did we learn? Uh, David's journey is marked with uh, uh, hunger and poverty. Uh, No one... It's nice to him, and they're all trying to cheat him. Or when he's trying to get freedom, uh, you know, the long-legged kid 
steals his money and tries to call the cops on him. Uh, David gets overwhelmed by his aunt's energy, but he's also just grateful uh, to hopefully end his wanderings. Uh, and uh, we, the reader, along with David, are wondering if uh, if Miss Betsy, in her, her kookiness, is going to be able to realize that this kid needs serious help. That's my cat. He just knocked something over. How does this story apply to my situation? Uh, being unemployed and having a, a loud, annoying cat? I don't know. I guess that the cat also only thinks of himself, and, uh, and I can't count on him to be empathetic to me at all. So with that, thanks for listening, and uh, I hope to see you in the next episode. Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most where I tell you all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's there's that. Uh, I, I, are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people. Not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com. You can see a backlog of everything I've ever read, uh, along with episodes from Book Boys and uh, blah, blah, blah. You can also find me on Instagram, uh, which is uh, House Nuzzle. And conveniently enough, uh, Twitter, which is also at House Nuzzle. Annoyingly, YouTube made me pick a name instead of just a house nuzzle. So you got Glenn Nuzzles. So I guess you search for that if you want to watch a screen that doesn't do anything and just hear my voice. Uh, and since, uh, since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. Glenn.nuzzles at gmail.com But don't, uh, don't email if you're a, a nerdlinger or a dork. Now, back to business. I can't believe I drank all of them already. There's got to be one left.